Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Exciting show. A good friend, Jenny Smith, who is the owner of Butcher Creek Farms on the show. Jenny, so good to see you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, so we go way back and we'll touch on that a little bit. Even before we started live, my wife Betsy had to run down because you two are friends and from way back in the restaurant scene in Ames, Iowa, and we'll geek out on that a little bit. But first, I want to tell people exactly Butcher Crick Farms. Give everyone kind of just a quick roadmap of exactly what you're doing on the farm. Here's the tomato pitch. Where I'm from, it's a crick, not a creek. So that's the name Butcher Crick Farms. It's where our property is. I uh, started this in 2009 with the idea that I would be a profitable uh, farmer and came through a couple of paths along the way, which kind of showed me differently. So what we do right now at Butcher Creek is we specialize in the propagation of heirloom tomato transplants for sale for consumers uh, around the May timeframe. And then we grow the crop up to the fruiting stage. And then we sell heirloom tomatoes around central Iowa to most restaurants. Well, that was very professional pitch there. <laughs> I like the tomato pitch a lot. You've done that before. Clearly you've done that before. Cause it is kind of like, so what do you do? You grow tomatoes? It's mm -hmm. Much deeper than that, but you got to give people the elevator pitch so they don't you don't lose them in the ethos of everything that runs through your DNA. So I get it completely. Let's take people back a little bit now. Kind of alluded to it. Uh, you know, the the restaurant industry has always been something that's been with you. It's kind of the college job, but also like you were so embedded in the culture. So give people background. My uncles have a how many restaurants they have here in Ames, Iowa, five, six restaurants. They have basically built an empire here since the mid 80s. And this is where I started my career when I was 17, moved from California here, cut my teeth here, worked at a bunch of their restaurants, opened a restaurant called the Cafe at Somerset Village in 2003, which is then where Betsy, my now wife, started working. And you worked with her there at the time. And we were a crew, you know, all those uh, mm -hmm. restaurant geeks, so to speak. Is that where restaurants first started for you? Were you working in restaurants before that? Yeah, I was actually working at a small family-owned restaurant in Des Moines, Iowa. So that was the high school career, as those of us yep. that get started in high school, you know. And um, so then I heard that there was a, a, a cafe opening up up in Ames. And when you're from Iowa and live on a farm, you don't grow up with cafes or coffee shops, right? There's Casey's and there's a cup. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. simple. So I thought, you know, I don't really want to work at a coffee shop. But oddly enough, I was living just down the road in a townhouse. I was renting a room. So it turned out all right. And um, I met some of the greatest, uh, greatest people in my life at that restaurant. But, you know, those of you that are listening on the show understand that, you know, when you get bitten by the bug, uh, you get bit real hard. And um, right. those are some things that uh, the relationships and then the inherent desire to serve other people, whether it be through philanthropic organizations, whether it be through food and nutrition or education, like when you get the desire to serve others, uh, look out world, because that's what you're going to be doing the rest of your life. That's it. For better or worse, once you find that tribe, it is mm -hmm. it is so it, all of a sudden you just find your way 
for better or worse, sometimes we are yeah. some of the best people. And we're some of the most self-destructive people as well. It's, <laughs> it's something, it's a character strength and flaw simultaneously. What a, what a thing to grapple with. And so, so for you then being of service was clearly super important to you. And you were on the service side of that, making the transition to farmer. You mentioned growing up on the farm. Did you always know you were going back to the farm? How did that come about? Yeah, I was encouraged to not. I mean, I think that my dad had two daughters. And of course, his feeling was my sister and I were the first to go to college in our family. And it was do, do everything but farming. Uh, so when I graduated from Ames and I decided, all right, I'm going to go be an insurance agent up in Ames and great career, great company, but it wasn't the right fit. You know, it didn't have that that pull for me. And so I just decided, you know what, what I have learned since I graduated college is you need a business plan. You need to be able to kind of have some steps in what you're doing. It's not just like a lick it and stick it to see if it hangs on the wall. Uh, so I did that. And then I wrote the business plan and I told my uh, employer, I said, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to grow some vegetables for a while. and I'm going to start this business. So actually it was the kind of the first place that helped me realize about different foods. I'll never forget the time during pre-shift when we learned what jicama was, you know? And I mean, like, I just couldn't stop laughing because I'm like, what a weird name, you know? No one's going to order this. But it was funny. And also it's spelled weird. And then you look at it, it's like, is this like a weird looking brown um, coconut? And then you open it up and it's like this weird white apple looking. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think it's it's great. And one bite, it's like... Yeah. Betsy talks about that a lot, how it completely changed her perspective and understanding of food, what was possible with food, that there were people that were so passionate about foods that she had never heard of, clearly in the case of Hickma that you had never heard of. And it really set us on a path. I mean, everywhere we go and spend money is always around experiences in food and beverage. And so the cafe, 17 years later, I think is still doing that for a community like Ames. And Iowa at large, I mean, some of the stuff that they were doing 17 years ago are still in vogue today, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is, is super unique. So the farm, you wrote a business plan. Mm-hmm. You're going back to the farm, everything you were not supposed to do. Your mm-hmm. degree told you that it was not the right path, yet there was something right. in you. What was in you that compelled you to go down this completely crazy trajectory? Uh, probably the family that in college I was running from, you know, you, you could have, I, you couldn't pay me to stay in the state of Iowa once I graduated, you know, everywhere right. else was better, but here, but family, you know, we had a little bit of a family scare, but my, uh, my father had brain cancer and recovered. And so we were lucky to have him around. I thought, you know, what am I doing here? And I also thought I'm highly employable. If this doesn't work, it's going to be okay. And, uh, needed that. So I decided me and I said, you know what? I also need to build on my network. All of those friends that you know that we probably did some things we shouldn't, but we also did a lot of things that we should. <laughs> I called them up and I said, all right, so if I was to grow 10 different kinds of radishes, which one do you never get your hands on? So like I had a direct line of uh, communication to some of these uh, restaurants and saying, hey, what what could we custom crop and do? And um, after a couple of years of that, I finally realized and I got some advice, which was stop trying to be everything to everyone. It's never going to work grow a crop and grow it well, you know? So there's a lot of great farmers who really stick to to getting the, the the practices and the cultivation right of one thing. And I thought, you know what, what's one thing that you can buy in the summer, but you can't really get anywhere else? Hint, it's not onions. Yeah. It's really difficult to get the really summer onion flavor versus the winter. So I was like, you know what, heirloom tomatoes, short shelf life, impossible to trans um, transfer over um, multiple states. And so I thought, you know, set up a specialized business and then away we went. And so tomatoes, 
So it was very practical in that sense. You were looking mm -hmm. for some white space. You were looking mm -hmm. for a niche, something that you can carve out and really own. And you became mm -hmm. the tomato lady. Like, mm -hmm. so Brand. throw that up there. The tomato lady literally yeah. was like, you owned that space so well. And mm -hmm. I think even early on when you're doing it, I noticed that you were very savvy when it came to like brand and message and you stayed so on message. Where did yeah. that come from? Did, do you, did you go to school for, for brand and marketing? Because it very much felt like that. It was just innate in the way that you tell stories. I think it's about listening. Just listen to people that know things that you don't, right? And I was never really that great. I graduated from Iowa State with a liberal studies degree, which meant I didn't know what I wanted to do, right. which was the greatest <laughs> degree ever for me now. But I thought, you know, I don't really, it's, when you're taking these steps and in agriculture, I get one year to make it right. If I mess yeah. it up, I got to wait a whole nother year to start it over again, right? So I knew that as long as one, I was communicating what I was doing, and then you also follow the rules of communication, right? Say what you're going to say, say it, and then say what you said. Yes. <laughs> so sticking to that and then having some friends along the way that would help and I could do some pro bono stuff to say, how do I do this? Uh, it made it all stick. And uh, I think that when you're passionate about what you do, like it just comes out of yourself and people, and people want that. They need that. I absolutely love it. So tomatoes themselves let's talk uh let's get granular and practical right mm -hmm. now we have plenty of people that are constantly asking about connecting with farmers thinking yeah. about starting their own farm adding a garden to their restaurant things like that of that dynamic mm -hmm. it's not easy give us right. a, a couple of the high points if somebody's thinking about growing what should they mm -hmm. be thinking about where are you going to sell it because i think for the most part <laughs> i think that we all think about the concept of okay how do i become a horticulturalist how do i become a farmer or grower and i really think that you should stop and think about what is it that you need to do so on average americans throw away 40 percent of the food we come in contact with think of 40%. every 40 percent. think of every banquet that we've done and all the food we throw away think of the disneyland parks restaurants hotels conferences restaurants all of it right we throw so much away and we demand that farmers grow it cheaper and have it more readily available and less blemished for us to be able to what throw away. So I think when you, when people are looking at getting into it, they're like, you know what, my friend actually quit and they are growing a nice little CSA down the road. I'd love to do something like that. Start with where is it going to go in the end? Because honestly, if we're talking about sustainability and we're talking about food and food systems, Where's it going to go? Because there's plenty of yeah. times that I have sat there with a nice freaking bottle of whiskey, no glass needed, and looked at hundreds of pounds of fruit where it's like, what am I going to do with this? You know? What do you do with it in that moment? I mean, I'm sure you've run yeah. up against that where you have issues with crops, where somebody had committed to buying X amount and the restaurant closes, yeah. things like that. Like, how, yeah. how do you go about that as a business owner? You know, you got you get done with the bottle of whiskey. That is, <laughs> yeah. Stop, stop with the whiskey, right? Yeah. Get the tomatoes sold first, and then go to back to the whiskey. Um, I think you got to have a good network. Even as farmers, you know, that was something that I did really well. Was that I just made sure I had a big network. It would be anything from maybe there's like a country club that somebody that you know somebody too, and they could do a nice special or something. Um, different food change, school systems, anything. And then I think social media. I mean, I had a huge following on social media, and so I would put fire sale and I would make it really easy for people to buy because that's what we need in our lives now is something easy to buy because we don't want to be sold anything. We want to buy lots. That's good. I like that. Again, it's brand and storytelling versus transactional sales. Even yeah. though you knew at the impetus, you had to sell a lot of product to even be viable. And so from that standpoint, you just mentioned something. Farmers speak farmer. 
and mm-hmm. restaurant speak restaurant mm-hmm. and farmers market speak like so many different languages. I often say that I'm just a translator for people that think they speak the same languages. Connecting the right. dots between humans is always right. the game. Let's get into the communication side. Clearly, you know, the communication game. So mm-hmm. how, how can we unlock that? How can restaurants and farmers start to speak the same language? I know you've I know you've grappled with it. I know you've seen successes. Yeah. Give us a couple insights there. You know, I think it's all about it's traditional sales and I'm in sales in my life. And honestly, sales is about asking the right questions to get the right answers so that you can see if you make that connection. Right. Farmers and chefs need to be getting together long before the season hits. Yes. What's your wildest dream of an eggplant that you'd ever want to have on your menu? OK. And then they say something and then the farmer's like, OK, here's what that looks like. And I also think that you need to get buy in from your staff. Make sure that your Sue knows. Make sure that the rest of your team can be there to feed you with ideas of what's going to be out there that's going to differentiate your menu off of somebody else's. Right. And I think that that's key. So have the conversations well in advance. It also like pumps up your like summer mojo. Right. It's in February when you're really excited to think about what are we going to do different and how are we going to do it? And maybe that comes to even special events where the farmer can help support you to be able to give you a revenue stream for a special event that you might not already do to begin with. Do you get uh, restaurants out to the farm? I do. So that was another piece. Agritourism is what we call it, but basically allowing people, it's kind of the know know your farmer concept, right? Come see how I do it. Come see how weed infested this looks. Like you would never, ever want a picture of this on your desk. Like it's just, (laughs) you know, but it's real. It's very real. And it's also great for chefs to be able to see um, when I'm harvesting it, here's what it looks like. And here is the amount of time that I have to put into packing it and that kind of the care, custody, and control of the product before it gets to you so that you understand why I'm charging this. When you can go to Cisco and get it for this price, it's a totally different product. It's a totally different way to process and handle, which and then diff- tastes different on the end, you know? Tastes different. And your experience is different of it because yeah. me- now you have sense memory beyond just the food product because mm-hmm. we talk about it a lot. It's not what's on the plate. It's who gets it to the plate uh, is mm-hmm. absolutely something that I am all in buyer of and champion as much as possible care control what was the three c's you said care custody and control give us what is that kind of the controlling the the process end to end is that yeah kind of take taking responsibility for it you know there's um a lot of times when we sell things to somebody we expect them to receive them and everything's to be great but really it's oh our owning the responsibility whether it be from taking it from the window to the table and making sure that you don't fingerprint the side of the plate or hold it too close to your body you know i'm a server so that's where my brain goes right <laughs> right I mean, so that's like it's the care, custody and control that you have to make sure that the perception when it gets in front of who it's supposed to is well received. I love it. I love the jargon. It's so yeah. great. I think it's such an important thing. Honestly, I, we joke about a lot talking about how the compulsory service in restaurants should be a mainstay of our society because you learn more about the world in a restaurant and every human interaction with the restaurant at some point, yeah. I think is, is really, really key. Do you think, I know the answer to this, but do you think that your time in restaurant has put you in a unique position to, again, be able to understand the needs, the challenges, the opportunities, the personality types, the egos involved in creating a a beautiful menu to then be able to kind of unlock that mystery that sometimes restaurant is for a a food purveyor, a producer, a farmer. Sometimes it'd be like, I don't get these restaurant people. Mm -hmm, For sure. I think the answer is obviously yes, right? But let's take it back a bit. 
remember those questions in school we would test we would take and they'd always have like the last question or the last two questions were the problem solving ones i think that's really where we messed up in society where we should have had the whole test be about problem solving questions and then down at the end or give us the four math examples you know i mean i think it's one of the most important things is you learn in a restaurant rapid thinking um serious be ability to be able to cycle and having multiple cycles um humbleness you have to be able to be humble and serve others like we talked about earlier so so all those things like i hire out now for sales members and i really look for restaurant experience and i think that we've professionalized ourselves to say you know what i'm glad that they rocked having a service career for 12 years because i know that i can throw anything in front of them and i know that they'll get it done yes quite often People in the restaurant industry are transient. They're looking for the real job. What comes next? Mm -hmm. It was high school, it was college, and then they go on to something else or they're working towards something else. And maybe the restaurant industry is almost like a distraction in the middle. Yet I'm seeing it more and more as the value of the college degree where they ask you all the informational question and information is completely commoditized. You can find any mm -hmm. information on this, but the problem solving, to your mm -hmm. point, that is not. The understanding mm -hmm. the human interaction, that is cannot be commoditized. And yep. so in that, in restaurants, now I see people putting that on resumes as like, I can do some real shit in, in this mm -hmm. job because mm -hmm. of restaurants, mm -hmm. not despite of my time in restaurants, which I think is, which I think is so important. Now, beyond the farm, I want to give people a little more depth because you're, mm -hmm. only, you're only selling product in the farm. You said May for the transplant, mm -hmm. but then it's really what, July through October is your season. Yeah. So you got another job because clearly yeah. that's not going to sustain you. So talk about that. And I'm, cause I'm interested how it seems like you're serving a specific mission and the farm is a part of that, a big part of that yet, not the only part. So give us a little background there. Yeah, you got it. So I did the farm full time for about nine, 10 years and I had to make the decision in the end where it was like, okay, um, I say that I have a sustainable business, but it was an absolute lie. It's not sustainable if the business cannot stay open. And I was at a point now where I was like, do I want to take on more capital and make this even bigger? And I was not ready to make that decision yet. So I knew I needed to go out in the open job force. Yeah, I could still have my tie to agriculture. So I've been lucky enough in my career to have a couple of different positions, um, which le leads me up to the one that I have right now. So I currently work for a company called Copert, K-O-P-P-E-R-T. It's based out of the Netherlands. It's a family-owned company. And we are the largest manufacturer of predators, parasitizers, and pollinators in the world. So what that means is... To three P's. I like it. There's lots of yeah, C's right. and P's in acronym game. The C's and the P's, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what that means is uh, two weeks ago, I traveled up to Wisconsin because 60% of the U.S. cranberries are grown in Wisconsin. I don't know if you knew that or not. Glacier settlement, 60% mm -hmm. of the fruit are grown there. So we sell bumblebees to support in the pollination of the fruit. The fruit won't set unless they have pollination and they can't rely on all of our native predators. So we have bumblebees in boxes that we ship out there. So we got to drive around to the cranberry marshes and go, we call it kicking quads, but a quad is the box that they come in to make sure that they're buzzing and that they sound strong and vibrant. So, so we do that. And then we also do things like, um, so big segments that we do, I manage the agriculture. So that covers everything from hops, to strawberries, to squashes, to everything else under the sun outside. Um, we sell predatory mites that are carnivorous, essentially. They feed upon other mites that they find. It's a whole biosystem and how it works. So our job is to make sure that crop protection tools can stay in place, but also can be supplemented through a biological system. I love it. <laughs> 
That was great. That was perfect. <laughs> I, I now I'm going to do some research because I'm a yeah. research hound. I love that. I'm super interested in that. I've actually, yeah. right when you're talking about that, I was thinking of a documentary I saw where people were like stealing each other's bees. Yes. As they were like, so it's a very interesting, like, mm -hmm. you just don't know the things that it takes to get cranberries mm -hmm. from cranberry marshes all the mm -hmm. way to the really crappy can of cranberries. It's an amazing supply chain that takes mm -hmm. so many moving parts to it. So when I'm thinking about now, you're, you're really trying to just create the language of agriculture and connecting it to people and doing that through sustainable or unsustainable business models, right? right. When you think about that work and, and let's go back to the restaurants, how then can restaurants become more involved in this? How can restaurants be an asset versus you mentioned the food waste and restaurants are some of the biggest polluters when it comes to that game. We just, we produce so much food and so much of it goes to waste. So talk to restaurants right now. How can we do a better job of being stewards of this ecosystem that you clearly are all in on? You know, I think restaurants have made amazing progress. Like when we talked about really 17 years ago back at the cafe, being able to see the farm names on there. I mean, they were leaders in that. Nobody else was doing that in Iowa at that time. Because as we know, Iowa is going to be the last to be the trendy, right? We start on the coast and work our way in. <laughs> so, I mean, it was amazing that they did that. So that's a huge step. Um, bringing in farmers to do special dinners or cocktail receptions of here, let me talk to them about that. But I think even more so, I think the where that restaurants have the ability to really make an impact is restaurants can make something look beautiful. They have a brand, you know, whether they played it in this style or fashion, like they have a way to make things beautiful. Farmers have a need to get rid of undesirable looking crops. So if I have tomatoes that are split or a slight hole in them or things like that, being for me to be able to offload it at a really reduced rate and then in a restaurant to be able to say, you know what, I can make something out of this. I can do a sorbet. I can do some sort of uh, preserved product out of it. I think that that's where restaurants can really like make the freaking rubber meet the road because they have that intellect of how food chemistry comes together and creative things and how they can make something work. Restaurants, myself, guilty of falling for the more beautiful the food was coming in, mm -hmm. the more beautiful I could make it. And then I took beautiful food and over manipulated it. It like didn't make any sense. Do you think there's an opportunity right now? I'm just thinking again, selfishly for myself, like, so much ego went into the food that I created so much master of my universe, all these things that are not true, uh, <laughs> but I believe them wholeheartedly. And I think a lot of times the industry, we, we do, we think that, you know, we were maestros, like the ability to make food beautiful to your point. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's an opportunity to maybe play on that a little bit? And from a culture standpoint within restaurants say you could, you only get to use ugly food and the challenge we set for you is to make it beautiful. I mean, I'm just like spitballing here yeah. because I feel like there may be an opportunity there where we don't look down upon the bruise, but we recognize it as an opportunity. Thoughts? Yeah, agreed. And I think you guys have the ability. Well, one thing that drives every good, successful restaurant is consistency, right? From the kitchen side, from the back of the house side point, right? It, man it helps you manage your costs. It helps you manage to be able to know ordering. And when that consumer comes in and enjoys the experience, you can replicate that. Like that's what we've always been ingrained to do in restaurants. So I think if we can have the ability to say, this might not taste like this next time, right? And this dish might have a protein on it, but your veggies are going to shift. And therefore, we're also going to take and we're going to put a different acid with it. because It's going to make it taste like this this time. So if they have the ability to take that 
consistency um, away from um, uh, the product and work with the flexibility of the farmer. And the, the deal with nutrition is this, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of research published out there, but nutrition happens when you essentially, when you take the food from its life source, I pick the tomato from the plant. It is the most nutritious it will ever be. And the only thing that starts from that point is degradation. So at that point, like, so when you look at, take a look at it being a, a restaurateur and a chef and saying, okay, I've got 10 people within 30 miles that I can get different things from, utilize it because you're getting, you're getting the best of the best. As soon as it's pulled from a life source, it's a time bomb. It, it has a shelf life. We talk about that like colloquially, but like really mm -hmm. it definitely has shelf life. So for restaurants, God, I want to give them a couple more nuggets. You're, you're killing it. It's, communi yeah. it's communication. Like I'll throw three more C's at you that I talk about a lot in like my consulting and strategy work. It's clarity, communication, consistency. And I believe that if you create clarity around your brand and your message and your ethos, and it's internally strong, right? You mentioned way early on, inspiring your, your team, having your sous chef be as fired up about the tomatoes as you are, clarity, focus. If you communicate that internally and externally, and people know this is exactly who we are, not what we put on the plate, who we are, Right. Then I think you unlock consistency with what you're delivering, not the exact flavor in that moment, not the exact plate, because sometimes restaurants, you know, they get stuck. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves that dish. You can't remove it. What, yeah. what do you mean? Like we can, we have to, because it's not viable in December yet. That's what the point we're at. We get really crappy tomatoes in December because of an amazing dish that we created around your tomatoes in July. So we got it backwards sometimes. This is great. Any last thoughts uh, thinking about your work? The tomato lady, Jenny, I love it. Any last thoughts for some of the hospitality restaurants, chefs, servers, anybody working in that space that they can think about to, again, just be more thoughtful about our food choices or connecting with farmers? Give us a couple mm -hmm. little tidbits as we uh, before we let you go. Here's a good nugget, and it's it's a hard one to swallow. So um, farmers work really hard at planting. They buy seeds, and then they propagate them, and then they go put them in the ground, and then they harvest them, and then, okay, it's time to ready to sell. Um, as a restaurateur, you have the option to purchase on the open market from many different places. One thing I want you to avoid, as well as those are the, uh, dabbling a little bit in their home gardens and in terms of, like, growing some crops, something that's really important is please don't take your excess produce that you might have grown that year and taking it to a restaurant and giving it to them for free or in exchange for maybe a free glass of wine or a comp meal and say, you know what, I have all this arugula and I don't know what to do with it here. Can you use it please? Well, the restaurant would say yes, but then what does that mean? They don't go buy from farmer Jenny that week because they already have enough arugula. When farmer Jenny was planning on that sale 12 months ago. So that's a little bit of a, a kink in the system that we think we're doing something good by sharing the bounty but you might be hurting the farmer on the back end. You didn't even realize you're just, you're devaluing the market uh, yeah. for that product, for that individual. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think what you're talking about, the practicality between kind of the, the purpose of what you're doing and then the commerce of it, I think is an important thing that we don't reflect on. Sometimes when we're talking ethos and I'm feeding my community, it's the most important thing. Absolutely. Feeding your community also comes in the form of smart business too. And the way that we can find an overlap between that makes a ton of sense. Jenny, so good. This was really, really great catching up. So good to awesome. see you. I love what you're talking about. And 
I had no doubt having just watched from a distance, but clearly the communication background that you have an understanding is serving you really, really well. And, and God, I, I want to see now. I now I want to set up a program where farmers get access to somebody who's a specialist in brand PR marketing and communications, because mm-hmm. speaking the language makes a big, big difference. Yeah. Tell Major takeaway for me from this. Super great. All right, Jenny, thank you so much. Awesome. You're selling tomatoes right now. So get back to work. Absolutely. Take care, Jensen. I miss you guys. All right, have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> Sophie's throwing comments on. She's leaving Jenny hanging. <laughs> uh, the really great. Jenny Smith, good friend, uh, was there at the very beginning of our relationship, Betsy and I. I saw Betsy must be watching. I saw a couple comments from her. Oh, Betsy was 20 years old when we when we first started going out. We were just kids. And we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary this week. So this past week, Jordan, good to see you as well. Jordan was there back in the day with us. Great community. 17 years later, the restaurant, the cafe. If you're in Iowa, in Ames, you know. If you don't know, now you know. Make sure Iowa and so many other states not flyover states anymore. They've caught up and sometimes even more thoughtful in the way that they're cultivating community because there's not as much white noise sometimes. Sometimes we get distracted by all the, the bells and whistles. And if you just have simplicity, sometimes you can focus things. So great conversation really appreciate that sophie what'd you think she was so cool she had so many good quotes i she was is like, so quotable i know i, I, was, I was just like, started yeah, doing things and i was like oh no she's talking about something and i'm missing it and that's quotable but i need to get what she just said down yes. and then when she was talking about the bugs um, you would send something in the beginning and I was like, what kind of bugs? And I don't know why I went for computer bugs, but um, natural predators. And I was just kind of like, oh my God, that's so amazing that I missed half of the sentence. So I never got like most of it down. I was like, that's amazing. Oh, so now here's You're something I really bugs. like. People need to be so quotable. New challenge for all guests. <laughs> yeah. Be so quotable that Sophie can't keep up with getting quotes up. You'll have to re-listen to it. You saw, I, really- I missed taking her off on time i know <laughs> she was sitting there and i was like oh you're, that's you're me still like 30 seconds behind trying to like process what she said i think it's really great so the thing that that jenny does really really well is she simplifies communication mm-hmm. like i have you know we joke about it. i have so many little quips and sayings and and acronyms and phrasing that i use and they kind of have people go yeah okay whatever i roll yet they're memorable and i think the simple communication things are memorable just the things like every time i give a a speech is like tell them what you're gonna tell them tell them and then tell them what you told them seems dumb yet it's really important to do the ability to communicate to own your space to be the tomato lady i think is it i think it's so so important that if i were to call any restaurant in des moines and be like hey you know I need to talk to somebody about tomatoes. Who should I talk to? She'd be top five on everybody's list. That is a substantially valuable position to be in. Any other good takeaways for you? There's too many. I know. There's too many to count. Good I don't know how you're going to do a top five takeaways for this show. There's like 10. There's 10 or 11. Can we give her six? Let's do this for the first time ever. We're going to do a top six takeaways. takeaways. And I don't even like, I don't even have anything to say. I just put all the best quotes in. (laughs) Perfect. That's all we need. All right. Then that's it. That was a great show. 
Jenny Smith, Butcher Creek Farms. There we go. Uh, awesome. And it's been really great the first couple days of being back here in Iowa for a little trip. I spent some time with the uh, grandparents. Both my uncles, again, have restaurants here. We got to go by the cafe and uh, talk with Uncle Bob today. And so really good stuff happening here. I'm excited for the rest of this week. Great lineup of shows from the great state of Iowa. Like I said, not a flyover state, maybe ever, but definitely not anymore when it comes to the food and beverage hospitality industry. Good humans doing good stuff everywhere it's all humans people you're gonna hear me say it again and again and again the more you watch the show the more you recognize i am a broken record i will say the same things over and over and over and just find different people that we can relate it to again and again and again that's all i got for you cheers thanks for listening to the best served podcast subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at best served podcast tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes